If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. Brian McClanahan Show, episode 608. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook. Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com, mclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. And you get great deals on new and forthcoming courses, including my latest class, 25 People Who Changed America. It's a great class. Right now it's on sale because it's out for pre-order. Once it comes out, though, it's fully available. The sale price will go away. So if you're on that email list, you're knowing you're getting the coupons and you want to use those coupons to get the class. Also, I'm running a 25% discount at the current prices at McClanahan Academy. Those prices are going to go up in April. So if you're getting this before April, you're going to get that 25% off at the current prices. These are the lowest prices you'll ever see again at McClanahan Academy. So if you want my stuff for a lower price, you want to get it now. Also, you can click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Both great ways to support the show. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you like it. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Send me those show requests. That's how we keep growing the program. All right, so wrapping up the week here, uh, we're going to talk a little about foreign policy again. And I want to go back to 1964. And I want to go back to 1964 because of somebody named Dan Smoot. Now, if you read my Forgotten Conservatives in American History with Clyde Wilson, I wrote a chapter on Dan Smoot in that book. It's entitled People Along the Way. Actually, I'm sorry, it's not in that book. Excuse me. The dance, the People Along the Way is in uh, Southern Scribblings. Forgive me. I'm, I'm losing track of my books here. It's in Southern Scribblings. So you want to get Southern Scribblings to get People Along the Way on Dan Smoot. But um, this is a great little chapter on somebody who is not often associated with the South. Uh, but Dan Smoot was a very popular individual in the 1960s, had his Dan Smoot report, which was actually on television, and also his newsletter. And he was a traditional conservative. When I say that, he's an old right conservative. He wasn't a neocon. He was someone more in line with, say, the Southern tradition, or if you just want to look at modern politics, someone like Robert Taft or Barry Goldwater. These were the people Dan Smoot was more in line with. I mean, he was kind of a libertarian in some ways, but Certainly interested in the original Constitution. For example, he didn't think the 14th Amendment was a good idea, wanted that done away with. And there's a whole host of other issues where, I mean, look, if you're a, a paleoconservative, you're on the old right, you're going to like Dan Smoot. He's really good. He's solid on so many things. Of course, he had a, a fairly uh, bad reputation from the establishment because they said this guy is, you know, he's, he's a lawbreaker and some other things. But um, Dan Smoot's report... It's a lot of fun to read. These things were published before you had the internet, of course. And so it's like a blog. And he put out this newsletter, and people subscribe to it, and they are really good. And I had a colleague of mine say, hey, I know you wrote this little chapter on Dan Smoot. 
And um, I've got a couple of old Dan Smoot reports. You want them? And I said, sure, I'll take them. So he sent them to me in the mail. And I've got two, one from 1964 and one from 1967. I mean, they're just, it's funny. They're just, you know, paper. You, know, you just hold it up here, just a little, little paper, a uh, little paper newsletter. This particular newsletter is, in, letter is entitled War and Politics. It's from August of 1964 at Stan Smoot Report. Uh, volume 10, number 33, broadcast number 469. So he would actually take this Dan Smoot report and then turn it into a television broadcast. This guy was doing YouTube before YouTube. He was doing video blogs before video blogs. This stuff is ingenious. I mean, this is what he's doing. He, Dan Smoot would be a rock star in modern social media. This guy knew how to do it. And, I mean, it's, it's amazing stuff. So uh, I want to focus on one part of this particular report. Now, unfortunately... I have to wear my glasses for this, so uh, because I can't see otherwise on on up close anymore. But uh, this this uh, Dan Smoot report is uh, is just so good on this issue. Now, what's happening in August of 1964? We've got Americans getting involved in Vietnam. Uh, we've already had the assassination of Kennedy, and of course Johnson is starting to ramp up beyond what the Kennedy administration did. We know Kennedy ramped up beyond what Eisenhower did, and so we've got a real mess brewing in Vietnam. We've had the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which I talked about uh, in a previous podcast uh, about how the United States government lied to get us into that. And of course, the media lied to get us into that. Everybody lied to get us involved in Vietnam. Same thing with many other wars in American history. But I want to talk about this particular report because you could substitute Vietnam for Ukraine and Russia, Vietnam and the United States for Ukraine and Russia. And we've got a very similar situation. You see, nothing has changed in 50 years. 60 years almost now. Nothing has changed in 60 years. This is why all this stuff is so frustrating. It's so frustrating because we have the establishment class that just keeps wasting money on foreign wars. Americans keep dying in foreign wars. Now, of course, we're not, we don't have boots on the ground in Ukraine yet. Because possible. Anything's possible here. But the way we're talking about Ukraine, you've got Biden openly talking about regime change now in, in Ukraine. Well, that's pretty scary. What does that mean for the United States? right? What does that mean for American soldiers? What does it mean for American citizens? When you've got the President of the United States openly talking about regime change. Well, we had that in the 1960s too. We had it in the 1990s. We had it in the early 2000s. This is what happens right? when you get presidents who are progressives, who are uh, globalists, they talk about these things. And Dan Smoot was spot on in 1964 about Vietnam. And he was spot on about what we could do about it. Because he actually has a, a part of this essay, what to do. right? What should we do about this issue in Vietnam? Uh, we know that there are only a couple of congressmen, he talks about it, that actually voted against the resolution to get the United States involved in Vietnam. They were both leftists. All the conservatives voted for it, and Smoot was saying, this is stupid, it's ridiculous, don't do it. And we know people like Richard Russell and William Fulbright and others pulled back from that eventually. Uh, but early on, everybody was for it, right? Everybody's for getting us involved in Vietnam, and it turned out to be a disaster for the United States uh, long term. And I think you know, that Vietnam syndrome, we got to go in, we got to kick everybody's butt and win every war, and do that's from Vietnam because we lost, quote-unquote, Vietnam. So he says on page 262, because, you know, this is volume uh, 10, he says, the important thing is for us to avoid war in italics. We cannot avoid war, whether we get tough or remain soft about communist aggressions and atrocities, if we continue the policy of world meddling, 
saddling this nation with responsibility defending all other nations. Many of them do not want to be defended. They accept our defense merely because their ruling cliques are growing rich on our money or using it to keep themselves in power or because our military assistance to some makes others feel a need for American war material. Now, think about that. Zelensky is in power because of a coup that the United States backed during the Obama administration. That's why he's there, right? So we're defending Zelensky because he is, by default, an American puppet. And this is what we had to do all throughout Europe and during the Cold War. So we had to do all throughout Asia during the Cold War. We had to defend our puppet governments against communist incursions. I mean, that's the way it was sold. When Harry Truman was talking about getting involved in Korea, he had these imaginary bombers flying over the United States. Well, last time I checked, in 1950, the Koreans didn't have the capability of doing that. But yet he's going to sell it to you. We don't stop them now. And actually, Dan Smoot talks about that in this particular essay. He says, Our government has no constitutional authority to defend or support any portion of the foreign world. Well, that's exactly true. Our, let me read that again. Our government has no constitutional authority to defend or support any portion of the foreign world. None. He's right. There's none. Now, the United States government does control the army. They can appropriate money for the army for two years. So they can have an army. The president can direct foreign policy. But our job is not to go out and defend foreign powers. They don't have the, we don't have the, the authority in the government to do that. Whether other nations go communist is, not, is no affair of ours. You could just substitute that as saying whether other nations are occupied by the Russians is no affair of ours. And he was right about this. Our aid to them certainly will not prevent their turning to communism or succumbing to communist conquest. Indeed, our aid has assisted communist subversion and conquest in many lands. He's right about that. We cannot prevent other nations from warring on one another, and we have no business trying. We could keep our own nation out of war, however, if we would maintain such national defenses that none would dare touch us. And if we would return to the traditional American foreign policy of being a benign neutrality, excuse me, which George Washington laid down in 1796. Exactly right. This is, I mean, people would say this is libertarian. It's not. This is the old right position. Of course, libertarians would agree with this too, but it's the old right position. It's George Washington. It's Thomas Jefferson. It's John Adams. This is what we were trying to do from Washington up through James Buchanan. Once you get to Lincoln, things change. Things change with Lincoln because you start seeing a, a push for meddling in world affairs. Now, the retort will be, what about James Monroe and the Monroe Doctrine? You look at the Monroe Doctrine. What does it say? We're going to stay out of Europe. Yeah, the Western Hemisphere is for you to stay out of, but we didn't enforce it. The British did. And all they want to do is ensure those powers in the West would not be reoccupied by European powers, right? But still, at that point, the United States didn't stop it. The British stopped it. He said, we should never once have become involved in Asian wars. Once involved, however, we should have taken the victory that many times is in our hands. We rejected every golden opportunity for victory. At every crucial or uh, critical juncture, since our involvement in Asia, U.S. political leaders have taken the wrong turn. There is really nothing left for us to do but to get out and improve our own national defenses, 
to protect our own national interests. Otherwise, inevitably, we shall become embroiled in another catastrophic cycle of the East-West War between Europe and Asia, which has been raging one way or another with intervals of calm for 1,500 years. How specifically should we pull out of Asia? Our involvement with regard to China has been sealed by the blood of Americans who have died at the hands of communists. Moreover, our national honor is involved. It is doubtful that China would ever would have been enslaved by communism or that the Korean War would have occurred at all had it not been for communist appeasement policies followed by the U.S. State Department since Roosevelt's first wartime conference with Stalin. So here he is bashing what Roosevelt was doing. He had communists in his, in his administration. He's bashing what Roosevelt was doing to appease Stalin. So he's going back to World War II. Here we are 20 years after the fact. And I mean, that's still fresh. We, we think about you know, 1964, it's the 1960s. It's only 20 years after World War II. This is a... It's like right now talking about the, uh, the United States' involvement in Afghanistan in 2002. Uh, th- that's where we are. This is 1964. We're there. That's exactly where we are. Chiang Kai-shek is the only strong anti-communist leader left in Asia. Those who know him well say he's a devout Christian and a great leader, his life dedicated to one purpose, rescuing his homeland from communists. He was 76 on October 31, 1963. Although he is still vigorous, it is obvious that his time is running out. If he is held in check until too late for him to accomplish his great purpose, it may be then too late for China and all the rest. Free Chinese on Formosa have been living and building on the hope that they will be permitted to move against the mainland when the time is ripe. It is inconceivable that this time has ever been riper than now. Since Chang retreated to Formosa, our aid to his government has averaged about $270 million a year. 100 million economic aid and 100 million, 170 million defense aid. Does it make sense for us to keep supporting the free Chinese as American wards, though we never let them fight our common enemy? Ultimately, total war or total surrender will be the outcome. So here he's talking about, you know, well, we need to help the Chinese out. This is this is Taiwan, right? This is what he's talking about. This is Taiwan, and uh, we're looking at this is. I mean, look. His point is well taken in this. This is 1964. Here we are in 2022, 60 years or so later, and about 60 years later. And the Chinese are making overtures to try to take Taiwan again. What he was saying in 1964 is if we really want to knock out communists, you give, you give Chiang Kai-shek all, the, all that he needs there in, in uh, what's now Taiwan and go take the Chinese in the mainland. You just let them do it. But we don't do it. right? We don't get boots on the ground. He says, we could give Chiang Kai-shek and the world six months notice that we plan to get out and let Asians fight their own wars in their own way. During that interval, we could gather military and civilian goods, which are now scattered all over the Far East, and divert these supplies to Chiang Kai-shek and giving him our blessing to move with his own men as he pleases to rescue his homeland. Some military authorities say that Formosa is vital to our defenses. This is true if, by our defenses, we mean the defense of Asia. So this is what a point that he's making with Ukraine. Some military leaders just substitute Formosa with Ukraine. Some military leaders said that Ukraine is essential to our defenses. And that's true, Smoot would say, if you're talking about Europe. But the United States isn't Europe, right? If we continue to show the defense of Asia slash Europe, Fighting her wars with our soldiers, we must anticipate that Asia, Europe, will become a limitless graveyard for our sons. If that is the policy which we are determined to continue, we should hold on to every base and every piece of real estate we have anywhere in the Pacific and acquire more at whatever cost. But he says, why continue that policy? Why should we do that? Neither the military security or the economic prosperity 
of our nation requires us to defend any part of Asia. So again, substitute Asia with Europe. Read that again. Neither the military security nor the economic prosperity of our nation requires us to defend any part of Europe or Asia. And our government has no right to spend American lives or money for such purpose. Bankruptcy and death await us unless we disengage from involvement in the political and military affairs of the rest of the world and look to our own national defense. What a great line. Bankruptcy and death await us unless we disengage from involvement in the political and military affairs of the rest of the world and look to our own national defense. Has he not been proven correct in 60 years? Are we not to a point now where this is essentially the case? The United States is virtually bankrupt with, the, with inflation, government printing, uh, all the things that are happening post-COVID. It's clear the United States is bankrupt. It can't do anything without printing money without borrowing money. It's bankrupt. And yet, we're still doing it. The The idea of death, bankruptcy and death, well, if we get involved in, in Ukraine, that could be very difficult for the United States, ultimately. And for a lot of people in the United States, a lot of young people. What if Chiang Kai-shek falls apart, falls at, fails after we pull out of Asia? One thing can be sure we can be sure of, if there are not enough Asians willing to able to fight for their own freedom, then Asia cannot be saved. No matter how many American lives our political leaders may be willing to sacrifice in the jungles, desert, hills, and rice paddies of Asia, we simply do not have enough men to fight Asia's wars for her. The one remaining strong, determined anti-communist leader in Asia says he wants to fight now. Now is the time for us to let him. So this is interesting. Of course, he's Talking about the involvement in, in Vietnam, and, and uh, here we go with, with uh, China. But I really like that essay because it gets to the heart of the issue. What is the problem with modern American foreign policy? Well, it's a complete deviation from what America was built on, what fa America was founded on. And so you have people running around talking about traditional American foreign policy like it's always been Wilsonian. But that's not the case at all. Again, first 80 years of American history... It was non-intervention. A lot of the presidents who made inaugural addresses in the 1830s, 40s, even in the 50s, had as their guiding principle non-intervention. Non-intervention. They didn't want to get involved in foreign wars for foreign goals so that we could spend a lot of money on foreign powers and, of course, have a lot of American soldiers die in the pursuit of what? Of what? This is the question that was always asked. What are we fighting for in Asia? What are we fighting for in Europe? What are we fighting for in the Americas? I mean, if it is about something like oil, at least be open about it. We're, we're trying to get more resources for the United States. I think people would probably support them more if they, did, if they were honest and did stuff like that, other than just, we're going to make the world safe for democracy, or uh, we're going to go and help these poor downtrodden people of Ukraine. That's not, I mean, I think people would be more... Uh, understanding if you just were open about what the heck you're doing there. If it really is a war for oil, then go for it. If it really is you know, some type of anti-Putin situation, then just tell people that. I mean, in some ways, Biden's saying we're going to have a regime change. It's refreshing. At least the, the old man's caught on hot mic, and he doesn't know it. Um, and, of course, he's... It's really is elder abuse of Joe Biden. And the man is not really cognizant of what's happening. But... Um, 
this is the problem. Since the 1960s, people have been talking about this kind of issue where we have foreign wars for foreign goals that are going to lead to a tremendous loss of life for Americans and American soldiers. Now it's men and women, then it was just men. But, I mean, look, this is a disaster waiting to happen. I, I, Ukraine is uh, not something the United States need to be involved with, nor uh, should, at this point, or at any point, we shouldn't have led to regime change. But, I mean, Smoot was right. I mean, how many times has the United States led regime changes somewhere else? And so why do we sit here and complain about it if it happens uh, when the Russians are very open about this? When we do it, it's very clandestine. So, anyways... I like this little Dan Smoot report. Again, if you've never read my chapter on, on Dan Smoot, go out and get uh, Southern Scribblings. The title of the chapter is People Along the Way because that was the title of his autobiography, People Along the Way. It's a great little book. It's highly fascinating. Um, but he is in that book, uh, Southern Scribblings. Uh, Dan Smoot, if you just look at Dan Smoot overall, his politics, he's more to the right than most people in Washington today. And um, I, look, his, his stuff is just... it's. It's very good. It's fun to read. Uh, you've got all these different. Uh, in, mention it there. This was uh, this was broadcast 469. Uh, the one from 1967 is broadcast 621. So that's like 621 episodes of the Dan Smoot Report. I'll say this: if anybody's got any of these recordings, any of these things anywhere, I'd love to see them. They are really good. So, anyways. If you want to get me five times a week, make sure you pick up the Abbeville Institute podcast. Uh, this week, a little shorter. I'm trying to play catch-up this week because I was behind. Uh, and so I'm trying to get caught up and just get some, some material out there. So I apologize if these shows aren't long enough for you this week. But um, this was good. I wanted to get that part of the Dan Smoot report in and talk about this foreign policy issue. But make sure you get that Abbeville podcast. Go to abbevilleinstitute.org. The podcast is right there. You can pick that up or you can search for it on on. Uh, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. So wherever you get your podcasts, you'll find the Abbeville Institute podcast as well. That's my fifth podcast for the week. I've got four every other day. So thanks for joining me this week. Until next week, see you then.